Okay, so today we uh, continue our series. <clears throat> our series is, is titled How to Fight Sin. How to Fight Sin. And today we're going to be focusing on letting go of idols. Letting go of idols. Today is our last week in First Corinthians for this year. We're going to go back into this in the new year. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've personally found it such a helpful and useful series. In preparation for a number of the messages, as I've heard what TJ has had to share, it's been a real blessing for me personally, and I feel like I've really grown in my faith and my walk with Christ uh, through this time of looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 through to 10. We restarted this series in the, the second Sunday in September, and we've really focused on three different areas in 1 Corinthians 7 to 10. The first area was looking at what is, is, what is marriage, and we're thinking about this subject, this question of what is marriage, as it relates to, to wisdom, as it relates to, to mission, and also as it relates to eternity. And then the second area we focused on was living as light, how the gospel changes everything. And we spent time thinking about living as light within the church, living as light amongst unbelievers, living as, living as light as an example, and living as light before God. And over the last few weeks, we spent time thinking about how to fight sin, how to fight sin. Two weeks ago, we were thinking about fighting sin through learning from the past. In particular, learning from the bad examples we read about in Scripture. And Paul called us to look at these bad examples and to learn from them and to not do as they did. And last week, we were thinking about how to fight sin by looking to God. By looking to God in the midst of all of the different temptation trials that we face. And it was so helpful for TJ to unpack the necessity of God's word and the absolute necessity of the church family. And I hope, I really do hope, we take on board all that TJ had to share uh, last week as he unpacked that passage. And today we're thinking of this challenge of idolatry within our lives with what Paul says in the next section of scripture, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verses 14 through to 30. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to this passage. I'm reading from the CSB as, as always. Christian Standard Bible, the words are going to be up on the screen for us as well. So Paul writes these powerful words uh, for us. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food, 
This is food from a sacrifice. Do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you, and for the sake of the con- and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticised because of something for which I give thanks? Amen. May God bless you. Bless the reading of his word uh, today. You know, the most important verse within this passage is the first one, verse 14. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I say that, and I say this because this verse becomes really the basis of everything else that Paul says following on from that. This word flee uh, in the original Greek is the word fugal. In other words, associated with it are to escape or to run from. And so Paul here, in effect, is saying, do everything you possibly can to escape, to run from idolatry. So how we might get out of a burning building is how we should flee, how we should escape idolatry. Paul says flee, and he says this because idolatry is that dangerous to each and every one of us. To put it bluntly, a life characterised by idolatry is a life destined for eternal destruction. A life characterised by idolatry is a life destined for eternal destruction. And this is according not to what I say, but to what the Bible says. Paul writes earlier in this letter, in a passage we've already looked at together, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. And then Paul says, no, idolaters will not inherit God's kingdom. And it's not just our eternal uh, destiny. Idolatry affects and impacts our present day lives as well. David the psalmist says this in Psalm 16 and verse 4. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. So idolatry might be satisfying for a season, but it always, always, always leads to misery and hardship and pain. So something you can do this week, and in reality this is something that only you can do in your life. If you feel miserable today, and I mean miserable, um, if you find yourself today full of sorrow and unhappiness, a getting through life kind of attitude, lacking hope, there is a strong possibility, though it's not a guarantee, because we all go through difficult times for a number of reasons, and some of these are God-ordained. But there is a strong possibility that your sorrow, your misery, your unhappiness, your hopelessness, is when you dig down into the root of your heart, related to the fact that you're trying to find joy and fulfilment in something that could never bring you joy and fulfilment. It could never give you the joy that you long for, but you still keep trying to find it there. And in your trying, you've you've replaced satisfaction in Christ with an attempt to find satisfaction in something else. So please understand that that something else, whatever it might be, is forever incapable of giving you that. That something else is, in fact, your idol. An idol never really fulfills. It always leaves you wanting more and more. And the more you have now is never as satisfying as the more you had last week and last month, and last year. Basically, an idol just empties you of any true desire for God. The result is you become enslaved to the idol of your choosing, and it affects your identity. The Bible says you'll even start to look and reflect 
the idol that you pursue within your life or the idols that you pursue within your life. Look at what the psalmist writes in Psalm 135 and in verses 15 to 17. The idols of the nations are of silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. It just shows you just how hopeless and useless idols are. And then have a look at what the psalmist writes in verse 18. Quite an incredible declaration from the psalmist here. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Those who make idols, those who live for idols, who pursue idols, are just like the idol that they live for and pursue. You know, I can think of a friend of mine a number of years ago, his little brother, he was, at a young age, early teens, this kind of squeaky clean guy, and then something happened. He started to get into new metal and punk music. Now, just for the record, I've got nothing against new metal or punk music. If that's your thing, then go for it, as long as you don't make it an idol. Um, my friends we brought started to get into this music, and he started watching Kerrang! the channel. Like, he constantly, constantly watched it. His eyes were glued to this channel every single day and something happened over time. He started to resemble, he started to look like the people he was watching and listening to in Kerrang TV. He looked like a bass guitarist for a new metal band. And that's because that was what he worshipped, that's what he focused on. He started to resemble the idols that he was focusing on. The reality is you become what you worship. Whatever idols you worship, and that can be anything, we can worship anything. I've said this a couple of weeks ago. There are so many things that we can pursue and prioritise in our lives that aren't of God and that take the place of God. So this leads us on to a helpful definition of an idol or idolatry. Because you might be hearing all of this and thinking to yourself, I'm still not exactly sure what an idol is because it's maybe a, a, an older word that you, you don't really use in your day-to-day lives. You might not have a firm grasp of what it is that we're talking about here. And so it's helpful to really unpack this a bit more. This is a quote I shared a couple of weeks ago, and it's so important as we think about this subject. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller gives his definition of what an idol is. So he asks, what is an idol? And he says, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. You know, I wish, I really do wish that I could install this quote into each one of our hearts, including my own. But that's not my job today. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, have your way and do a mighty work in our lives so that we understand what an idol is and we respond in obedience, fleeing idolatry and running to you in the power and grace that you always provide. So let me ask, let me ask you a very simple question or a very simple set of questions. What is it that is or that has a potential to be more important to you than God? What is it that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Is there anything in your life that you believe will give you only what God can give you? I'm not just going to ask these questions and then move on. It's very easy for us just to be thinking about that for 10 seconds and then completely forget about it. I'm going to give you a minute, like an actual minute, 60 seconds, for you in the quietness of your heart, in your living room, wherever you are, to prayerfully ask these questions about your own life. And remember, an idol can be anything.
a person, a thing, a feeling, a circumstance, a life attitude. It may be one big thing in your life, it may be many small things in your life, or it may be anything in between that. So take this minute to let the Spirit direct you, that He might illuminate to you what the idols are within your life. So let's just take a minute to reflect upon that. Okay, now, hear me out. Don't let this be the only moment that you do this within your life. I want to invite you to prayerfully take time to listen to the Spirit. As you're in His Word, as you're in prayer, as you're going about your day, in the busyness of our days, because we are all busy, ask God through His Spirit to reveal the idols in your life throughout this week and beyond this week as well. The reality is, it's a lot more difficult to identify idols today than it was on Paul's day. It's difficult because we've mixed our worship of idols and God at the same time. There's a kind of, it's just really hard for us to, to decipher and discern what is an idol and what is something that God has blessed us with and given to us. I love what the pastor and writer Andrew Wilson says about idolatry in reference to believers. It's so helpful for us today. Atheism is ceasing to worship God altogether. Idolatry is ceasing to worship God alone. I think that's very true for us. We, we kind of mix our worship of God with, with our worship of our things and we're constantly going backwards and forwards towards God and towards something else. And idolatry today is also difficult because it's more subtle and more attractive than in Paul's day. The truth is we don't think idols are idols. They subtly, subtly, subtly creep into our hearts and we are almost always attracted to the idols of our lives today because we bring some kind of benefit and blessing to our lives. We believe there's a benefit in pursuing these idols at the expense of God, at the expense of our relationship with him. But in Paul's day, as we'll see in this passage, an idol was a clearly defined thing. It was a belief in another God and sacrifices would be made to this God, often in a temple. People would go to the idol temples and out of fear that if they didn't go, then a curse or a hardship would be placed upon their lives because a god or, a, or gods would be against them. And what Paul uh, speaks of here is what we very much see in some cultures today around the world. The gods are angry and so people have to give up something. They need to sacrifice something in order to appease these said gods. And this all fits in with Keller's definition of an idol, a definition Keller took from a wider biblical perspective, both what was going on in Paul's day and what happens today when it comes to idolatry. 
So in Paul's day, this is a physical idol, a symbol of worship to another God, had the potential to be more important than the true and living God. For the Corinthians, this absorbed their heart and imagination more than the true God. In Paul's day, it would have been believed that this God, small g or small g gods, could give them only what in reality God, capital G God, could actually give them. And for us today, whatever we see as most important and ultimate in life also has a potential to be more important than the true and living God. This area or thing in our lives can easily absorb our hearts and imagination more than a true God. We believe that this idol, as subtle and as disguised and as attractive as it might be, can give us what in reality only what God can give us. So whether it was Paul's day or in our day, we are in effect talking about the same thing, something that takes us away from true worship, something that takes us away from the true and living God. Take a look at what we read in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. We, here we see Paul in Christ, living for Christ, identifying the idolatrous nature of the culture around him. So verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. And then look at how Paul responds to the Athenians in verses 22 to 26. Carrying the truth of Jesus into a world distracted and destroyed by idolatry. We read, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, the idols, I even found an altar in which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So I wonder if we can do the same. You know, I wonder, can we critique and assess the idols of our own lives and the lives of our people and our community? And at the same time, can we bring the good news of Jesus to our own lives and the lives of those around us so that people might see the absolute uselessness of the things we worship and at the same time see the infinite value of Jesus Christ? Can we do this? In God's spirit, of course we can. If we don't do this, if we don't fight the good fight against idolatry, then we will fall into two equally dangerous pitfalls. Pitfalls that Paul was concerned about for the Corinthian church. These two dangers are found in our passage in verses 23 to 30 and in verses 14 to 22. And I want to take these two dangers in that particular order. So first of all, let's look at the danger Paul warns of in verses 23 to 30. If we're not pushing back against idols, idolatry and idols will push back against us. And when that happens, it has a potential to cause others to stumble, verses 23 to 30. You know, if we have a casual and cosy relationship with idols, if we accommodate idolatry in our lives to some extent, in whatever way that might manifest in our lives, if we don't think about other people around us, then what we do how we respond to idolatry has the potential to cause other people to fall. If we live a life full of idolatry, 
it will cause other people to fall as they watch our example, something we've touched upon already through this series. So let's look again at what Paul writes in verses 23 to 30. So Paul says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticised because of something for which I give thanks? So Paul here is highlighting the fact that we shouldn't just be concerned with what we do. We should also be concerned with who's watching us and how it is they might respond as a result of what we do in our lives. If someone has an issue about something that you do and yet at the same time our conscience is biblically clear about it not being a sin, not being wrong, then we still give that thing up out of our love for that person. That's what sacrificial love looks like. This passage is very much an echo of what TJ looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you haven't heard the message that TJ shared and you want to, or you want to recap, I would really encourage you to check out Living as Light Within the Church which is on a podcast and on our website. And here we learn that Paul, in an earlier part of this letter, outlines to the Corinthians that it wasn't necessarily wrong to eat leftover meat from an idol temple. What was wrong was to eat the leftover meat that had been offered to an idol, all the while your brother or sister in Christ still had a problem with it. Paul recognised that this could result in a slippery slope for the weaker Christian. They could fall into sin in this area because of what they saw exampled in the life of someone who had no issue with eating eating this meat. And TJ underlined that for Paul, his modus operandi was that what what is the most loving thing that we can do in these situations where there's disagreement between believers about what is right and what is wrong. And Paul's answer in 1 Corinthians 8 in our passage is that a stronger brother or sister should give up their right to eat this kind of meat for the blessing and for the benefit of the weaker brother or sister, out of a love for them, out of a desire to see unity within the church. This is what it comes down to. We're thinking first and foremost about being one in Christ as God's family. Unity has to be a priority. So if we don't have an issue with something, but someone sees us doing something and they have an issue with it, then... God calls us out of a love for that person if they feel convinced and have a clear conscience to respond in love towards them and to not eat or to not do something in front of them in that particular situation. This is exactly what Paul touches upon again within our passage and in verses 28 to 29. Paul says, But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you. And for the sake of conscience, Paul's just echoing chapter 8. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. So watch you don't cause a brother or sister to stumble because of your own liberty and your own convictions. 
Be on your guard against anything that might be misunderstood or misconstrued. And do this to protect others from idolatry, all for the sake of gospel unity. So this is Paul's first concern, that what you do in your life might cause somebody else to stumble. And the second concern that Paul has is one that he touches upon in verses 14 to 22. We read, starting in verse 14, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Paul here presents us with, presents us with three pictures. The first picture is the bread and the cup. It's a picture of the Lord's Supper. The second picture is the Old Testament sacrifice and the altar. It's a picture of God's people responding and worship to the true and living God. And the third picture is a meat sacrifice by a non-believer in an idol temple. And Paul wants us to see that in each of these pictures, worship is taking place. In the, first two pictures, in the first two pictures, worship from God's people is taking place to the true and living God. And in the final picture, the meat sacrifice in an idol temple is not worship of another God, as, as if there was another God beside Yahweh. Rather, this sacrifice is in its essence the worship of demons, even if the idolaters are completely unaware of this. And so Paul here is saying, you need to be really careful. Be careful you don't just cause other people to stumble, but be careful that you yourself don't stumble. Eating meat could lead you to sacrificing meat, and this could lead you to worshipping demons. So our freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we should do anything and everything. Our freedom in Christ can easily lead us back into sin. As Paul says in verse 23 of this passage, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything builds up. So let's just be aware of this. We can, in our liberty, we can cause other people to stumble and we can also cause ourselves to stumble. So let's be aware of that potential pitfall and let us in the power of God's Spirit live for Him with all that we are, finding our satisfaction and fulfilment, not in an idol, but in Christ and Christ alone. I want to, to leave us today with two really important questions. As you assess the extent to which idolatry is an issue within your life, let me just say as well, idolatry is an issue in all of our lives. It's just an, an issue to a lesser or greater degree. So the first question is this. Um, is, is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm saying, is what I'm deciding right now, enabling me to run closer to Jesus or is it enabling me to run further away from Jesus? Is what I'm doing, thinking, saying, deciding right now enabling me to run closer to Jesus or is it enabling me to run further away from Jesus? 
And the other question you need to ask is this. Is what I'm doing, thinking, saying, deciding right now enabling others to run closer to Jesus? Or is it enabling others to run further away from Jesus? In other words, does my example to other people reflect the image of Christ? Or does my example distort the image of Christ towards other people, towards believers and towards unbelievers? You know, we've looked at this passage I'm about to share uh, on a number of occasions in the last few weeks. And there's absolutely no shame in looking at it again because it ties in so well with what Paul's touching upon here within this passage and in previous passages. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, something we've looked at, and it encapsulates how it is we ought to live. We live as a miniature version of how Christ lived for each one of us. This is an amazing truth. We don't do any of this on our own strength. You, You see all this, you probably identify idols in your lives. And you can think to yourself, well, I need to work really hard at being a faithful Christian. But Paul here says, no, we think about others. We, we live for him. We recognize that it's only in God's strength that we can be both faithful and fruitful. So Philippians 2 and starting in verse 4, Paul says, um, everything should, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Um, you might hear an alarm there. That's actually 10.14, which is the address of the church that we're praying for, the building. So apologies for that if you heard that. So let's just start again. Verse 4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So take stock of those words today. Don't just think about yourself. Don't just think about your own desires, your wishes, your freedom to do many different things. Also think about other people. Will it cause other people to fall into idolatry? And then Paul moves on to show us why it is we should do this, starting in verse 5, and also how it is we should do this. Verse 5, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So as Christ has been sacrificial for us, this is so important, as Christ has been sacrificial for us, you in God's grace be sacrificial for yourself and for others so that you might have the power to overcome the clutches of idolatry. You might be able to let go of idols. You might be able to flee idolatry, resulting and others doing the same as you, they see Christ at work in your example. So what we want for each one of you is a life of purity and integrity, a life that is satisfied in Christ. And we want that for those who profess faith in Christ today, and we want that for those who have yet to profess faith in Christ today. And so there's an opportunity to respond in two different ways as we think about all that we've shared. You know, if you're watching this, and you have yet to make a response to follow Jesus, to put him first in your life, to make him Lord over your life, then there's a little raise a hand button. Click on that, and there's someone available to pray with you and to pray for you, that you might know God's goodness and grace in your life. And I can honestly tell you, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, when he becomes Lord of your life, you'll experience transformation. You'll become a new creation. If the old life will go, the new life will come. 
So if that's you today, if you feel impressed to make that response, click on that raise a prayer, raise a hand button in the message feed. If you already have faith in Christ and you feel really challenged by something, again, please do not waste this time. Do not waste this time. This is a great opportunity to click on that prayer button and to ask someone to pray with you and for you that you might know victory in your life and that God and his spirit might minister to you so that you might overcome the clutches of idolatry in your heart and mind. If you're watching this uh, recorded, um, then you can use the social media uh, platforms that we have. You can contact us via that or you can contact us at info at denisonbaptist.co.uk. My prayer, in light of all that we've looked at in the last three weeks, is that we would hand the boxing gloves over to Christ and let him fight the fight for us, the good fight that we are called into. We're in partnership with Christ, but ultimately he has the power to enable us to overcome each and every sin of our lives. May that be true for each one of us this day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your ability to, to change us through the work of your Holy Spirit, and we recognise that this is an absolute gift to us. We pray, Lord, that we would find victory. We would say no to all of the subtle and avert idols in our lives, and we would say yes to a life that is satisfied and fulfilled in you. And Lord, what a great privilege and opportunity we have today and the rest of this week to worship you with all that we are. And Lord, I pray that we would recognise the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this evil age. And so help us to see that perspective and help us to live for you. Help us to fight trusting in you. We ask this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Love you guys. God bless.